This is a typical traffic jam in rural Georgia. A dozen cows block the road, plodding home from the fields. Out here, it's been this way forever. Georgia's landscape is as beautiful as it is economically crippled. People love their land, but the lack of opportunities has meant less and less are able to stay on it. I'm Vladik Ravich, and for this episode of Taxi Taxi, we're bringing you a story about what it means to be a farmer in this small country, whose very name, Georgia, comes from the Greek geo, or land. The name George, a tiller of the soil, a farmer. But a farmer in medieval days is not a farmer today. You still need to understand seeds and weather, but today's farmer also has to grasp value chains and financial forms. Everybody's saying, you are not a farmer. I said, how should I look like to make you understand that I'm a farmer? Should I be dirty? In this case, you will believe me that I'm a farmer. My name is Nino Zambachidze. I'm a farmer, let's say farmer entrepreneur. And at the same time, I'm chairwoman of Georgian Farmers Association. She's been dubbed the farmer in heels by the Georgian press. And she freely admits to nurturing this easy-to-digest publicity. But beneath the cheesy headlines, her story does capture a moment in Georgia's history. She's among the first farmers of modern Georgia, men and women that may one day be remembered as the beginning of something new. And her story began with a drunk phone call about two cows. But before we get to that, a little history of Georgia's agriculture. In the 1990s, the collectivized farms imposed by Stalin half a century earlier collapsed. When the Soviet Union melted away, anarchy filled the vacuum. The machinery, roads, the irrigation channels, even power lines broke down or were sold for scrap. At the same time, the hyperinflation made money almost worthless. All the supply chains that make a modern society function fell apart. And in this chaos, the decision was made to privatize the land in the countryside. It was the most stupid way of privatization, and suddenly nothing. Nothing. Decrease of production of practically everything. Completely destroyed. Completely. That's Georgi Kvesetadze, who was Minister of Agriculture from 1992 to 94. Plans were drawn up for a transition to a market economy, but the state just couldn't project its power into the countryside. Was there discussion of another way to do it? With who? It was a crazy time, which was very hard to imagine. The government was agreed to do practically everything what people wanted. What was the thing? To avoid the uh, revolution. Mm-hmm. They wanted land, please get land. was ordered to privatize. It was spontaneously created situation. The most difficult years of my life. Instead of an orderly transition, the collective farms were abolished almost overnight and divided into individual plots, averaging about one hectare each. That's roughly the size of a rugby field. It's barely enough to feed your family through the winter. But for most people, it's all they have, so they're reluctant to sell it. It's the only possession they kept from the Soviet experiment. So Georgia's once mighty agricultural sector is completely fragmented. 
a quarter century after independence, its legendary fields are producing less than half of what they did in Soviet times. Okay, so that was some history. Let's get back to Nino. That's a promotional video that she begins by saying, I never thought I'd be a farmer. But today, she owns a dairy farm, a fish farm, and an orchard. And she's the founder of the Georgian Farmers Association. But we'll get to that. Nino's ancestors are Mingrelian nobility. Her father was a renowned academic, her grandfather was a mayor of Tbilisi, and her great-great-grandmother sang as the Debi Ishknelebi, a famous folk group of singing sisters. There's a statue dedicated to them in the center of Kutaisi. That's who you're listening to right now. Nino grew up as part of the first generation of Georgians whose country was neither communist nor in crisis. The business generation, let's call them. We scrapped 90% of all the government agencies. So, and, you know, the government agencies where people thought, you know, if they, if they don't exist, there'll be mass fires in restaurants, there'll be uh, rats will, you know, like, invade our cities, uh, eat small toddlers. None of that had happened. That's Mikhail Saakashvili speaking at Georgetown University. He came to power after the 2003 Rose Revolution. His administration started off as one of the most business-friendly governments in the world. Kaha Bendukidze, his minister of the economy, famously said that Georgia would sell everything except its conscience. Unfortunately, all these reforms basically ignored the countryside. It just wasn't a priority in the last decade. There have been efforts here and there to register land or encourage micro-lending, but it rarely made an impact. But Nino was perfectly positioned to seize these new opportunities. When she was only 14 years old, her parents sent her to stay with a friend in New York City. But in the end, she was compelled to come back to Georgia. My father, 28 years, he was a dean in university. And he was, let's say, highly paid foreign professor traveling all over the world because he was a good mathematician. So when I went to the United States, I was for one year and I wanted to stay there. And I remember he called me and told me that if I will be acting like that, it will be a very big mistake because... Everything what you are gaining abroad, you have to come and deliver to your country. By 19, she was working for her boss, mentor, and future business partner, Beso Babunashvili. Their business venture was introducing takeaway coffee to Georgia's capital, Tbilisi, in 2005. I asked him to make the uh, small coffee shops, outdoor kiosks. And he said that, okay, let's try. And we've been the ones in 2005 who uh, established takeaway coffee concept, which was really new in Georgian reality. Because, you know, we are the culture that we have to have a table, dinner, supra, uh, and there was no concept of taking away something. I mean, everybody was asking us why we never had the chairs there. So why they have to carry out together with them the coffee? It was really hard, but let's say we ruined that wall. And right now in Georgian, takeaway coffee is one of the uh, famous and, you know, uh, let's say very shaky.
And then, once it took off, she drops it. She's had her success. She's changed the Georgian reality, as she calls it. She sells the kiosk and shifts her attention elsewhere, learning from a variety of mentors and bosses. And then came the phone call from Beso. It was a Friday. I still remember that, and I will remember it till the end of my life. So I was sitting here in the office, sending email to my friend. I remember when I got this telephone call, and he was like, hey, how are you? It was like two or three o'clock. And I'm like, what the way he's talking to me? I mean, I said, what are you doing? He said, I am drinking your, your toast, you know, blah, blah, blah. Men's talk, uh, toast for the woman and the blah, blah, blah. And he said that I have money with me, so I can, uh, I have to buy cows. And I was like, what? He said, yeah, 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 I will go buy cows. And it was no reason to talk to him because he was drunk. He could repeat the same things. So I said, okay, you want to buy the cows? Okay, buy the cows. And then I forgot. You know, if you will convert it to the how much coffee we could order, you know, there are some advertisement materials we want, the stuff like that. It was nonsense to pay 5,000 for cows. Uh, when I got the, uh, in the morning, I had a call from Beso saying that let's go because we have to see these cows. He thought that this guy would take care of cows and would send us uh, milk and the cheese. So when this guy called us, he said, you have to come here, deal with the pasture, buy food for the cows, find a person who will take care of these cows. So we went there and he said, I think we have to stop here. And, and I remember at that time, I just bought the newly chic for Georgian Ben Simon uh, sneakers. And I had the jeans, which was cut it, you know. And I uh, heard the one woman's voice said, she doesn't even have a proper trousers. She must be very poor. I was like, what the hell they're talking about? To be honest, I've never visited any villages in the regions before. Because in 2007, when I started in uh, acting in agriculture, it was not chic at all. And everybody was laughing at me. And I had a cultural shock. And what happens next? The story of Nino first becoming a cow owner, and then a farmer, and then a business pioneer is actually the story of what we're going to call re-kulakization. In some almost cartoonishly simple way, her motivation to move to the village and create a business is a good example of the rebirth of a class that the Soviet system sacrificed millions of lives to destroy. This is Stalin's de-kulakization happening in reverse. So kulaks, which means fists in Russian, was a term that was first used by the Bolsheviks to describe successful peasants. It was propaganda, designed to make them appear as some kind of capitalist boogeyman who cared about fashion and profit, but lived in the countryside, not the city. You're supposed to see them as entrepreneurial bourgeois types, grabbing money in their clenched little fists. And to use the vocabulary of the time, they were liquidated as a class. The Soviet economy was planned in Moscow. You didn't need to keep track of prices or international markets. You just did as you were told. You worked on the communal farm, and that was that. But now, today, two generations later, Nino is living this process in reverse. She saw opportunity here. Tbilisi had turned a corner. 
The shelves were stocked in the stores. The people were taking their coffee to go. But in the villages, it was a different story. The development was too risky for banks and too remote for politicians. But she knew how to get grants, how to reach the right people, and she had an appetite for risk. On the way back, I started thinking how I can switch these two cows into business and the profit. But uh, I've never had anybody else in agriculture because, you know, my friends, all their city, people, cafes, restaurants, and etc. But I remember that two times I met with a former minister of agriculture. He was laughing at me because he was saying that, you know, I had a feeling that she could come to me and ask me, can I bring coffee in your office? Or can I work for you? Or can I, can you do some favor for me then? When I asked how I can buy the highly productive cows, first feeling he had was that I'm like bullshitting. This could have been for a lot of reasons, but her gender was probably one. Nino doesn't sugarcoat the realities for businesswomen in Georgia. There's certainly exceptions, but there's also a clear pattern. 12 years of the countries, I mean, in regions, no woman. 56 governor, no woman. Uh, nine uh, head of the regions, no woman. So you cannot give example. Presidents of financial institutions, all men. In Georgian reality, we never had the role model. If you were successful, you were supposed to be a daughter of good father, wife of very wealthy husband, and in worst case, the lover. We had the queen, Tamar, and because of Georgia was not accepting her, we called her King Tamar. The minister didn't have any government programs to offer, but there were some foreign grants for this kind of development. There is a Millennium Challenge, CNFA is announcing the grant, but we have 10 days. So me and Beso, four nights we were working. So we wrote it and we won $125,000. When we started uh, looking how we have to do a factory, there was nobody who could advise us. We were building the factory through the internet. They were trying to build a modern farm, one that could scale and meet the strict food safety laws of the European Union market that they hoped to sell to. But there weren't a lot of examples for that. Their neighbors were just eking out a living, trying to feed themselves and their family. But Nino was different she was spearheading a business. They're the self-sufficient uh, landowners. The, the thing is that the farmer, named farmer, has been created by us. Because even in Georgian constitution, you, the farmers are called as a peasants. So you don't have a definition. You don't have land registry in order to create the definition of who is a farmer. If you have a one hectare land and you have in one hectare greenhouse, you are a millionaire. And you are one of the biggest businessmen. If you had one hectare and you are cultivating there and having, for example, wheat, you are zero. What are you going to do? At first, she wasn't exactly taken seriously by the other villagers. Because I was a woman, nobody was considering me as a competitor. The second day were like more or less, okay, she's a lady, okay, what she's going to do? She cannot manage a lot. That's how they, I started motivating myself. I will change and ruin your stereotypes that I can manage and I can do it. So I think it's also a matter of entrepreneurship. 
when you sense something that you can do, when you want something to be done, then it can be done. So we started putting the milk collector centers in the villages and buying, started uh, purchasing milk from the farmers. We had, and up to now we have 350 farmers that we are buying milk. So we started doing that in September, everything was fantastic. October, November, there is no milk. We said, where's the milk? They said, oh, this year was very bad. We had the drought, no food, cows are starving, so we don't have the food. So what was the option? To come to the city, take the credit from the bank, and we have built up the International Standard Farm. Problem solved, right? No, actually, that's the first problem. And then next year, no milk again. We have a food, where is the milk? They said, yeah, it's bad genetics. So next year, we brought the cows from uh, Armenia. Eventually, they built up the full dairy supply chain. But they wanted to lower their risk and branch out. So they bought a five-hectare apple orchard. First year came, uh, we could not sell it because we could not store it. Uh, so we were selling for the harvesting. We said we have to make now the cold storage to keep the apples. And we found out that in the region, there was no storage. So again, we combined the grant and the credit, and we built it up the cold storage, which was uh, serving us and also serving the farmers. They were just paying for the ele electricity price. Okay, so they got the apples stored, but then, well, I think you understand how this goes by now. And then there was a lot of problem with the draining system, irrigation system. So we started irrigating our land. And then the farmers were upset. They were saying, can we use your water? And we were saying, yes, you can use our water, but uh, it will not be enough for everybody. As she solved problem after problem, she was pulling in more and more of the local economy. She was consolidating the countryside. This is the very thing that the privatization architects had hoped would happen, but didn't. But Nino realized the challenges were endless, and she made the leap from businesswoman to an advocate of sorts. She makes a profit, sure, but she's mostly interested in turning around the entire sector. Then I started communicating with the government to start helping farmers to irrigate their land. So they were not able, and I was not able alone to solve the problem. And then I said, here the association has to come, uh, Farmers Association, which will be the one who will serve farmers, let's say, to raise their voice. So in 2012, uh, I found a lot of business-oriented farmers, and we created a Farmers Association. And uh, right now we have 1,300 members all over the Georgia. The way Nino tells it, she cobbled together this business from grants and loans. But when we spoke to her mother, we realized just how much risk she actually took on. I knew that uh, the house where we lived, she put to the hypotex or high, how it say, bank, and she was to pay every month some money. I didn't know it, of course. And when she has already paid, then she told me. So you didn't know the house no, was mortgaged? No, no, And you, this was this was your house? You, my house, yes. This wasn't her house, this was your house? Uh, no, my house, together with her, she lived as well here. The house that she mortgaged was the house that she was born in? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. What, were you, yes. what did you think when you learned that? Oh, so, uh, I would be against of it. And that's why she didn't uh, tell me. Were you upset when you yes. found out? So-so, mm, so-so. No, she needed it, of course. She needed it, of yeah. course. 
but it wasn't just financial risks. That's what I like most about the way Nino tells her story, to us, to other interviews she's given. She speaks like a modern Georgian, as a woman, as a mother, and she's open about the costs, the sacrifices that prevent most people from following the same path. When we interviewed her mother, she showed us the many press clippings about Nino. And the first big profile of her daughter, well, it was way more personal than we expected. This is the magazine Way. Mm -hmm. I, uh, Korea just uh, ruined my uh, family. Wow, that yes, was a magazine article? Yes, magazine, yes. The headline of it is, the career, my career ruined my family. Yes. What was she? Yes, she just, she's uh, telling about, so why her husband left her. It was not his, for example, my husband's fault. It was all mine, that I missed everything. I mean, men, they need care. Either if he would be interested in agriculture and could follow me and it could be like a family business, it could be different. But he was not interested in agriculture at all. You are talking about the harvest. You are talking about the pesticide. It's not that you want to talk, but you are talking because you invested, you care about that. You are talking about how the milking cows can be calved. And who cares? I mean, you know, you have to understand one thing. If you are involved in agriculture, it's like a soul touch. And when I started living in the village, I started living with the people's problems, not mine. Thinking about their problems, taking care of their kids, and I missed my private life. I, I, I lost that sense that, you know, husband was a priority. It was for me a priority that others, they never received educations. They were uh, having a health problem and the family was not able to bring children uh, in the city. So when I started involving in that, so I missed my life. And you know, my mom was also a bit upset about that. Said I destroyed my life, my kids have grown uh, up without me because I was somewhere. Uh, and it was, you know, it's my, uh, let's say, not sane, but big, uh, let's say, big worry. Because they started walking without me. They started talking without me. I'm not able to bring the time back. They are grown. Uh, but I still think that, you know, uh, I am not cooking for them, but I'm cooking for them a good example. That one day they could, could be proud that, you know, their mom has done something good for the uh, others. And not only for others, but also for the country. She just thinks, uh, I think, more about uh, her cows than for her kids, because I was looking after her children. Otherwise, she couldn't manage together her family and business. But, but, if you ask, uh, will she repeat the same way, she'll say yes. Because she loves very much her work. Very much. Fighter. She's a good fighter. Agriculture was a major issue in the political campaigns of 2012 and 13. The leading political parties promised renewed attention and resources to the agricultural sector. 
Then Prime Minister and billionaire Bidzine Ivanishvili promised one billion lari to help reinvigorate the rural economy. The share of the budget devoted to agriculture jumped to 3% in 2014. Still a measly sum, but much more than before. European and US aid programs have also stepped up support. The EU has pledged 52 million euros over five years, and USAID is providing 20 million dollars. The goal is to clear away all the obstacles accumulated over a quarter century of disrepair and cynicism. Loans, equipment, training, subsidies, grants, legal changes, incentives, trade deals, they're all part of the plan. And according to the 2014 annual report from the Georgian Ministry of Agriculture, total agricultural output grew by 10% compared to the year before. But there is one big risk that Nino, and all of Georgia really, cannot control. It was 2008 when war started with Russia. It was the hardest time in my life. All of a sudden, we were standing on the level that the banks could to take everything. I was in the village. And you have to know that uh, you have to come through the Gori, where the Russians were bombing it. It was like a choice to take a risk. Either you are staying there and leaving your kids in the city, or taking a risk, sitting in a car. And I remember it was a night that they have announced that the Russians came to the border. You know, if you're going to die somewhere, that somebody will bomb you, minimum you have to be with your family. So we sat in a car. And to be honest, if you will ask me the road, have you seen the car? Have you seen the tanks? Have you seen anything? I don't remember. So I remember that entering to the city, coming back to home, and meeting with the kids. Uh, you know, at that time I was thinking that, you know, it's better to quit everything because you cannot be so separated. I mean, uh, life, it's like one second. You don't even know if you are alive tomorrow. So the uh, feeling I had, it was emptiness. Uh, feeling I had was that like, what is a life? You are doing something, you are working hard. Uh, you, you, you want to build a, for your kids future and that's external uh, reason that you cannot do it. I mean, and you have a feeling that you, you are nothing. It was the uh, worst time, uh, not time, the worst feeling and the personal attitude that I've ever had. And when we stopped, the, I mean, the, when the war was stopped, we had a five or six day hard days, then we returned back. I'm Nodar Shrabaize and I'm 12 years old. I think I was five, four years old. Do you remember anything from that time? No. no. I was with my grandmother and my grandfather. My mother is working because me and my brother are we are studying in a school that is cost too, too much. It makes me proud because I love very much my mom. She's always working. 
Uh, my mom said that when you will grow up, you will sit on my place. Really? Yes. So you're getting ready to take over from your yeah. mom someday. Some people are working to have a reputation, yes? Reputation. Yeah. Reputation, but my mom works to have a good cheese for uh, uh, me and my brother and uh, to the whole uh, country. And uh, she wants to... Uh, to recreate our country. Told you. Hey, still waiting for these cows to pass. But uh, next week, we're going to bring you another story. This time, it's about a stabbing over a philosophy lecture. Is God dead? We probably won't answer that, but it does come up next week. As always, we'd like to thank Chaihana and My Media for making this podcast possible. And, uh, oh, excuse me, that's a mean one. And thanks to Hindenburg Audio Suite for giving us the software to make this. A big thanks to Robert Issa for helping to report this story. Also, a lot of people let us use their sounds and their music, so do check the story notes on TaxiTaxiPodcast.com for more info. And lastly... We want your stories. So if farming isn't your thing, pretend Nino is talking about journalism here. That's a good question, how you measure success. If you measure it in money, I can tell you that I'm not successful at all. But if we measure success, how I realized myself doing something that I really like, having like uh, fun with this, yes, then I'm very successful. If you're interested, get in touch. For any reason, really, we want to hear from you. You can leave us a voicemail at Taxi Taxi Podcast on Skype. We might air it. And we're on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, Twitter, maybe Facebook, maybe Instagram next week. Who knows? Thanks for listening.